So I'm playing with my iPhone, but not because I'm playing with my iPhone. I know it looks like I am, but um, but uh, I do have a question about iPhones. Did did you hear that there are new iPhones this week? Did anyone notice that? Did anyone hear that about the news? All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you have thought about replacing your phone? Oh, all right, okay, some honest people, okay. All right, so um, I think that that's a, that's a question, and maybe you're not an iPhone person, and if not, we can pray for you, but, but if, <laughs> if you're like a, you know, a Samsung Galaxy person or something, you know, there's still hope for you. But, but um, <clears throat> you know, whenever, whenever your technology of choice kind of comes out with a new version, you may ask yourself, you know, should I replace my, my technology, my gadget, whatever it is, should I replace this? Or should I keep using the existing one? Should I should I keep you know using it? And it's even more of a problem if um, if your if your phone in this case if your phone I've got an iPhone six okay it's four years old and that's like I don't know what that is in dog years but in iPhone years that's at least that that old so um, so um, and it's got the bad battery if you've got an iPhone six you probably heard they've got a bad battery and so you can you can get them repaired you can take it down to the Apple store and just five days later you can have your phone back. Um, and they'll give you the, the replacement battery um, for, a, for a reduced price. And so, so you've got that question. It's like, I could make this phone a lot better if I would just repair it. But on the other hand, I could just replace it, right? And, and there's, this, there's this temptation. You, know, you kind of think, wouldn't it be simpler to just you know, say goodbye to my problems and, and get an all-new phone and, and I'd have all-new problems. But, but <clears throat> you know, the, the, the temptation, the temptation, you know, paying for it, you know, that one right there, it says 10.99. that's the bottom end, okay? That's the bottom of the price point for that top phone there. So, um, so you'd have all-new problems, but, but that's the temptation, right? Should I, should I get rid of this or should I, should, I, should I fix it, right? And then some people have said, you know what? I've had a smartphone for five years and I'm kind of remembering the old days fondly. I like not being on the tether all the time. I like the fact that I could go to the bathroom without having to have a business meeting, right? So some people are saying, you know, I just want to be free of it. And they're thinking, you know, maybe I should just abandon the whole project. Maybe, maybe I just need to go back to having a landline and good luck finding me. You know, if I happen to be standing next to it, I'll pick it up, but or maybe I'll screen my calls. But I am done being connected to the entire universe all the time. So some people, some people are looking at, at the question of phones and saying, should I, should I get the new one? Some people are saying, should I repair the old one? And some people are saying, should I just abandon the entire project? And that is a great metaphor for the problem that we find God in, in, in our story today. We are, we are looking at, um, uh, the, the story of God in, in this series. And this, these are the questions that God is facing right now. Should I replace creation? Should I repair creation or should I abandon it? We're in a series of messages called Roadmap and the idea is we're kind of standing back and looking kind of what is the big picture? What is God really doing in the world? Uh, or, or what is God up to? And so last week we began with the idea of creation, that God made everything, that everything God made is good, and that nevertheless, as good as it is, and we can see things that are just breathtaking in their beauty. We know that something is not right. Something has gone wrong. And so that was the place we left things uh, last week. Creation was made to be good, but something has gone wrong with creation. And the question is then, what should God do? Should God abandon the entire project, say, I don't need that cell phone? Should God say, I've got plenty of other things to do. Creation has nothing that I need.
Should God just abandon the entire project? Should God say, you know, the problem is this creation. If I started all over, if I threw this one away and started over again, I would get it right. Or should God repair creation? And that's what, that's what uh, the story of God is. As we uh, learn it through Jesus and through the scriptures that witness to him, we learn that that is God's strategy. God's strategy is not to throw away, not to abandon, but to repair Creation to fix everything that is going on with creation. And that's good news for us because we're part of creation, right? If, if God decided to, to wad the whole thing up and throw it in some celestial trash can, we'd be in that trash can. So that's not a good plan from our point of view. Um, but, but we might ask the question, well, okay, am I still, am I still in danger here, you know, am I going to be one of the things that he decides he needs to, to remove, to, to fix? And God assures us that no, God will fix what's broken with us, but he will not discard us, that we are not going on the ash heap, um, that, that we actually have a role in the restored creation that God is going to, going to produce. So that's good news, but because we are compromised, we saw last week the way that, that the ugliest things in creation tend to be right around people somewhere. And because we're compromised, we might ask the question, yeah, but how do I know he won't change my mind, change his mind, right? Today he says, oh no, Luke, there's a future for you, okay? But, you know, Tuesday, I may blow everything up. I may just make a complete botch of my entire life. I may take, you know, everything I've done wrong so far and turn the knob up to 11. You know, how do I know that God won't change his mind? How do I know that God is committed to this project? We ask that question because we're compromised. And the answer to the question is covenant. Covenant is an agreement. You may have heard a covenant is, is, is an agreement between God and people. So it's kind of like a contract. It's kind of like um, any other kind of agreement you might negotiate, except, except those are kind of weak. A better, a better picture of a, of a covenant is more like a peace treaty. In fact, scholars tell us that when they, when they dig up a bunch of clay tablets somewhere in the ancient Near East, um, they, they find that the language that's used in peace treaties is very similar to to the language we see in the Bible in some of the covenants that, that are in the Bible. So um, think about a peace treaty. And I don't mean you know something that's kind of hammered out by both sides over years like the, um, the Oslo Accords. Think of something like you know, the, the end of World War II, where you know, Japan surrenders to allies, signs rigid terms on warship. Right? That's, that's kind of the picture of what a covenant is like. So if you, if you remember what that was like when the, when the delegation from the Japanese government appeared in the battleship and they signed what was put in front of them. It was non-negotiable. They didn't get to say, you know, I don't like clause four here. It was like, you sign it or you don't. And the reason for that is they had lost. The nature of a peace treaty is if you do what you're told, we won't kill you. But if you disobey, then all bets are off. We go back to war, and we're going to just hammer you until you really, really give up this time. So that's kind of the picture of a covenant. And that's what makes the Bible's, um, the Bible's covenants really remarkable, is because they are unilateral and unconditional. God is saying um, in, every, in every one of the treaties, God says, these are things I'm going to do, period. Not, I'm going to do if you do these other things, right? If you obey the certain rules, then I will do, I will do whatever. God tells, God tells Noah, I have put my bow in the clouds 
as a reminder, and I will never flood the earth. Period. No matter what you do, it's not dependent on you. This is unilaterally obliging to me, and it's unconditional. It has no, no, um, what, what you do has no effect on whether or not I will keep my side of the bargain. So that's, that's what a covenant is about. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, the problem that people wrestle with when they hear that, which is, yeah, but how can we trust you? And they, they may put more or less flowers on it. They say, yeah, but just in case, I want to know what is it you're looking for from me because I'm not sure, you know, I am the one in the warship, right? I'm the one who, who came here to sign the document, right? You've got all the power. I've got none of the power. And I want to know just to be sure what do you really want from me? What do you want from me? Because I want to make sure you're going to keep your side of the bargain. We assume that God is like the rest of us and that God won't keep his side of the bargain or that something may change his mind. And so that brings us to to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, the people of God are about to enter into the promised land. They were, they were rescued from God 40 years ago, uh, rescued from Egypt by God 40 years ago. God brought them out of the house of slavery, out of the house of Pharaoh. They had been in bondage for hundreds of years, and now God has rescued them. He brought them through the Red Sea, and he took them to the promised land, but they balked. They asked those same questions. They said, yeah, it was nice of you to liberate us from Egypt, but how do we know if we go into the promised land, if we cross into the promised land, how do we know you're going to be with us? How do we know you won't change your mind tomorrow? How do we know you're going to continue to be in relationship with us? And so they spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. God says, okay, you don't want to go, that's fine. I'll make the same deal with your children. And so 40 years later, that generation has died off, and now the second generation comes along, and God says, okay, it's time to go into the promised land. And They're asking basically the same question. What do we need to do to make sure we stay on your good side? What do we need to do? And so Moses preaches this sermon to them and he says, you're asking this question. What does the Lord require? What is it you need to do? Well, you know what God has asked you to do. He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. This is what God has asked them to do already. And he says, you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. So he says, those are for your own good. Okay, that's not governing God. That's FYI for you. You want to have a good life? This is the way you have a good life. Okay, choose the good. Okay, I've told you what you should do if you want a good life. So choose the good. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But then he goes on, and this is the real center of the of the passage. He says, look. The highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. What would you bribe him with, right? What would you give God if you wanted to get him on your your good side, right? It's his. Everything, everything you can see, everything you own, everything anybody owns is all his. And he says, and yet the Lord your God chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. And he chose you, their descendants above all other nations, as is evident today. He says, he says, God has picked you. This is not something that you have to, to, to behave a certain way. God has already determined that he will love you. He says, this is God's decision. There's nothing you can do to change God's mind in this area. 
Now, there's a problem, you know, modern ears, we hear this differently. He says, uh, he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as evident today. When we hear that, we kind of say, yeah, but what about those other nations? Um, doesn't God love everybody equally? Particularly, if you are not of the tribe of Abraham, which I'm not, and I guess most of you aren't, um, you may say, what about those other nations? Because we know we're not ancestrally Jews. So is God partial? Well, he's going to answer that. But already in the in the book of Deuteronomy, he's told us that God has a different thing going on with the other nations. If you go back to chapter 2, God says this, the Edomites, that's one of the tribes nearby, said they're going to feel threatened. So be careful. Do not bother them, for I've given them all the hill country around Mount Seir as their property, and I will not give you even one square foot of their land. So God has his own thing going on with the Edomites. He says, this is not about them. This is about you, right? It's not that I love you and don't love them. It's that I love you, and that's where we put the period at the end of the sentence. I love you. God says, I have looked at the entire creation, and I have determined to love you. So that's what God says to the Israelites. And so what should you do? Change your mind. Quit asking me, what am I going to require from you? I've already told you this is binding on me because I am God. This is what I want to do. He says, the Lord your God is the, is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God. He's saying, he's saying, okay, who could force God to change his mind? There's nobody who can force the God of God and Lord of lords. Who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Could someone entice God? Is there any way that somebody could entice God since he has everything? How could, he, how could somebody entice God and say, God, if you do this, I'll give you that? He says, don't think of God that way. He says, now, it was interesting to hear Dennis read this. He says, he ensures that widows and orphans receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. And that's, that's what it says. But a better way to read it might be this. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. He says, what do they have to offer God? They are the most helpless people you'll ever meet. They have no support network. There's nobody who takes care of them. They have nothing to bribe God with. And God takes care of them. Get out of your head the thought that somehow you can, you can bribe God, that you can, you can give God something in order to obligate him to carry out his side of the bargain. God is in a covenant relationship with you. And whether or not you are faithful, he is faithful. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says, says that, um, says that, uh, God will be God regardless of human sinfulness. That there's nothing we can do ultimately that will keep God from being God. So. Years ago, I was, um, I guess 12 years ago this week actually, I was uh, up for ordination. I had, I had been through um, my, my seminary training at three years in seminary. I had passed my written ordination exams and uh, one of them took a couple of tries, but, but I had passed them all and now I was up before the Presbytery of Riverside and they were actually going to determine whether or not to ordain me. Um, the ordination we're going to have in a few minutes has questions too, but, but um, the difference is my questions were open. Anybody in the audience could ask me any question at all, 
Uh, it was kind of like extreme preaching, except that the people in the audience were were people who were were also ordained pastors. So it was it was a kind of a sweaty, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I can get through this examination. And I got asked a bunch of questions, but the one I remember was, what are the covenants in the Old Testament? And I kind of stumbled through an answer. I remembered, okay, there's the rainbow one, right? There's Noah, and there's the one with David. And um, and I kind of stumbled through for a few minutes, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, there's the one in Eden, the Edenic covenant. So I kind of uh, babbled for two or three minutes. And what I wish I could do is go back now and tell them there's really only two covenants. There's the first covenant, the covenant that God made with Adam in the in the state of innocence. He said, don't eat from the tree. Adam broke that covenant. And everything else has been a single covenant, the covenant of grace. It's the covenant where God says, look, here's what you should do. You, you want to know what you should do? You should do what I tell you. But I'm going to be God regardless. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be gracious to you. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. I will be gracious to those to whom I will be gracious. So, a couple of centuries after the writing of Deuteronomy, Jesus is approached by an elder. We heard this with the children, uh, an expert in the law. Somebody says, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? This question never dies. What do I have to do to get on God's good side? Jesus says, he's told you. You Repeat it back for me. And the guy says, you know, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors. There's, there's no thing you can do to make God love you. He says, that's right. Just do those things. Those are the right things to do. I said we'd come back to the question about, about how we behave, um, how to have eternal life. And the, 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 the question is partly to choose the good, right? You need to have a compass. You need to know where north is. This is what is good. So Jesus says, what is good? Love the Lord your God. Love what is good. And he says, love your neighbor. Shine God's love on your neighbor. Do those two things. That's what God expects of you. So choose the good. That's the first thing. But there's another thing. Last week we talked about how humanity has a vocation. That even before we get to the question of the apple and, and you know the snake and, and Adam and Eve and all that stuff, even before that, we hear in the book of Genesis, we hear that humanity is given a vocation. God puts us in the garden to tend and keep it. And our vocation is to be image bearers, to to look like God in this world. That is the vocation that humans have. And what that means is that we should reflect God's glory in the world. That like a scarecrow reflects its 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 maker and scares away the 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 crows, we as living embodiments of of the image of God should should reflect that out into the world. Glory should stream out into the world. So one of the reasons where we we do what God says is because it is what is right, right? God's giving us, you know, here's this, you know, here's the answers in the back of the book, right? Here's what you should do. You know, I'm I'm cheating. I'm I'm showing you what the what the trick is. Do these things. That's 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 what you should do. Part of it is just to choose the good. But the other is he's saying he's saying you have a vocation. I'll fix creation. I don't expect you to fix creation. I don't even expect you to fix you. He says, I'll take care of the fixing. All I want you to do is carry out your vocation. He, he looks at people. He looks at people beginning with Adam. Adam is sticky with the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's dead to rights. God looks at him and says, okay, keep calm and carry on. 
He says, I'll fix this. I'll fix this. You bear my image in the world. And I know right now it's broken. Right now, to whatever extent you reflect my glory in the world, it's going to be marred. It's not going to be as good as it should be. That's okay. You carry out your vocation. I'll fix what's broken in you and in the world. God says, just carry out your vocation. So the reason we have these instructions in the, in the Bible is not so we can get God on our good side. It's God's way of saying, here's what I would have you do if you had never been broken. So keep calm and carry on. Carry on your vocation. Do what is right. Shine God's glory into a broken world. I mentioned earlier the food pantry. One of the things we see, even in this covenantal language, we see God's concern for the most vulnerable people in society. He says, you know what it's like to be a foreigner. You know what it's like to be a slave. Show my love especially to the most vulnerable people. That's why we that's why we do the things we do. That's why we engage in the ministries of compassion. It's why we we support the food pantry down here on 88th Street. It's why we support the one up in Spinard with Lutheran Social Services. It's why we clean up the neighborhood. We are attempting to show God's love to people who do not know how much God loves them because we have found that God loves us and we want to show that to the people around us. That is our vocation. So we keep We keep calm, we carry on, we carry out the vocation that God has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that, um, you love us, not because of what we do and not dependent on future good behavior, but because you have looked at us and you have chosen us to love. Lord, it's hard for us to carry out our vocation. It's hard for us who are broken to remember that you are at work fixing even us, even as you fix what's wrong with the rest of creation. So, Lord, give us faith that you are at work and faith that even if we are flawed vessels, even if we are uh, clay pots, that you can shine your glory through us. So, Lord, give us give us confidence that we should carry out our vocation despite all the things that we know are broken in us so that the world may know that you are a loving God who is at work restoring creation. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.